road signs and some different things. And, and uh, for the people listening online, I'll try to do my best to explain over here. On, on my right, there's a sign that has a, a particular way to turn. You can go two different directions at the same time, but you can only go in certain lanes. And I got to tell you, here in Huntsville, I actually witnessed somebody trying to go opposite of that just two days ago. Okay? Um, these are hazard. When you don't follow these, it could be hazardous. Okay? Um, there's another one. Where'd it go? Uh, the no parking. If you don't follow this one right here that says no parking, that can be hazardous to your wallet, all right? Because you park there in downtown Huntsville around the courthouse where this sign is, and you're getting a ticket. So that one can be hazardous. One of my favorite hazardous signs is kind of what we've become known for, <laughs> the traffic circle. <laughs> and we're, we're just on the other side of it, and... Uh, it's funny, as Andy and I come into work a lot of times on Monday, we like to check out the traffic circle to see if all the signs are still up or if there's new tire tracks. The same thing. It, it really works when you use it right, but I've, I've seen people come off and make a left turn on the traffic circle, and you're not supposed to do that at all, okay? So signs help us out, but, but these are just a few of the things in case you're, you're looking around, you're like, how does that equate to hazardous. And so, so now you know it's, the signs themselves aren't hazardous, but if we don't do what they say, it can be very hazardous. And uh, in that same note, the, the song that was playing when I came up this morning is the chorus from a song by a group called Sidewalk Prophets. It's called Wrecking Ball. Check that out on iTunes. Um, but today, as we look at the hazardous side of Unleashed, this song has kind of been my prayer for the week for all of you. I've been praying that God's word will be that wrecking ball for us. And, and I wanna, I'm going to repeat the chorus. It's hard not to sing it when you do this, but it's, I need a wrecking ball slamming inside my heart, breaking me all apart, tearing the old away, killing the fear in me until I can finally breathe. Even if it hurts so bad that I can't even stand, take it all, let me fall into your hands. Uh, I need a wrecking ball. Now, I don't know what brought you, or excuse me, I don't know what you brought here with you today, but I want to encourage all of you that we're just going to take a minute right now, and, and we're going to prepare ourselves for what I just said, all right? So, so whatever you're doing right now, you can put your phones down, put your Bibles down. Um, I just want us all to take a minute, and I, and I really want to encourage you to just take a minute and pray with me. You don't have to pray out loud. I'm going to actually pray, but don't just listen to my opening prayer this morning. Pray your own prayer silently. Just you and God. Ask him to do these things in you today. Whatever distraction that followed you in into worship today, ask God to tear the old away. But ask him to prepare you to hear his word today. Let his word be that wrecking ball in your life. Because I promise you, if we open ourselves up, you won't be disappointed to what the word of God has to say. So go ahead and just bow your heads. We're going to take just a a minute of silence. Not even a minute, but just a moment of silence. And, And I just really want us to, I'm a big proponent of what you come in here with. It is what you go out with. And I really want you to come in with an open heart that can be filled up so we can be a vessel for him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We come from a world of distractions. Uh, uh, just, Just all kinds of things pulling us different directions and Weighing in on us heavily sometimes. Uh, bills and family issues and life and jobs and, and, and things from school or summer or whatever may be going on. And I pray 
as, as we come in here this, to this place this morning, Lord, as we open up your word, as we look at what the, uh, the apostles did in the, in the book of Acts and, and how you unleashed them to turn the world upside down, I pray that we can set aside our distractions. We can set aside drama, whatever it is that's in our lives, Lord, and we can focus on hearing your word today. And I pray that as, as we move forward, that not only will we hear your word, but we will live and, and react accordingly to your word. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. You see, as, as Christians in America today, our freedom to worship Jesus is not a typical thing. Now, it is for us here in America, but all over the world, brothers and sisters in Christ are persecuted daily for their faith. They're, they're murdered, tortured, put in prisons, even raped. And from the time of the book of Acts to the year 1900, I found that there is documented approximately 14 million cases of martyrs. That's people being killed for their faith. Oh, I see where we're going with this hazardous thing. Uh, but in the 20th century alone, there's been over 26 million people killed for their faith. Just in the Sudan, in a matter of six years, there were 1.3 million people killed because they were Christians. Over a period of six years. You see, we, we live in an age of persecution. And the disciples found out as well, as they began to preach and spread the gospel, that there was going to be persecution. They, they got that message. But this is nothing new. You see, Jesus warned them already in John chapter 15 and 16. He said, listen, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. He said to the disciples, to his followers, at some point you will be kicked out of the synagogue. And there will be people that when they kill you, they think they're doing a service to God. Jesus set this up. It shouldn't be a surprise. And we have seen the disciples after Pentecost now, and they're, they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus to everybody that they see, everywhere they go. And we've seen thousands of people come to Christ as we've gone through the, the first four books of Acts right now. But we also see that as all these people are coming to Christ, the religious leaders of their day hated it. They wanted it stopped. They wanted it killed. And we're going to pick up, we're going to, we're going to be in Acts chapter 5 today. And, and some of it I'm going to read, some of it I'm kind of paraphrasing. So I really want to encourage you to go home and read through Acts chapter 5. But that's where we're going to camp out today. The Sadducees apparently arrest the apostles in Acts chapter 5. Not just Peter and John this time, but all of them. And I'm going to pick up in verse 12 of Acts chapter 5. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Verse 16, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. When the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, um, were filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now, as we watch this narrative in Acts chapter 5 play out, we see how truth is dealt with in different ways. And I'm going to break that down a little bit. The first way that it's dealt with in Acts 5.17 is the religious leaders begin to attack the truth. 
And, and there are really three reasons, um, three reasons that the Sadducees arrested the disciples. The first one was the Sadducees had already told them, quit preaching about Jesus, but the apostles disobeyed that command. The next one was they disagreed in doctrine. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the re- resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> I did that one for Greg. Um, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And, and here you have the disciples preaching that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. They also arrested the apostles because they were jealous. The apostles were, were these unschooled, ordinary men who had been with Jesus, and they were just turning the world upside down. And these were men who were learned men, and, and just nobody wanted to hear what they had to say, basically. The Sadducees were jealous, and, and what I love is that when the disciples get arrested, they don't protest that they're being arrested. They go freely, and, and they're all put in jail for a few days. But then an angel comes and busts them out of jail. And he does it quietly. It's not with, we, we learned in VBS where the, they were in jail and, and the, the, the earthquake and everything started shaking and, and the stocks fell off. And, and it wasn't like that. This was more on the download. This was like 007 angel went in and, you know, brought them out. And, and in bringing them out privately without any religious leaders knowing, in verse 19, I want to read it because so, I just totally messed that up. <laughs> okay, according to scripture. So I want to set it straight. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Verse 20, go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. You see, he he takes the disciples back to the courtyard and he commands them, keep preaching in the name of Jesus. People still attack truth today, brothers and sisters. Peter tells us in in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we should always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. But he says to do this with gentleness and respect. You never know. You know, we may never be killed for our faith here in America. We may be insulted or mocked or jokes made about us uh, on TV and stuff like that. But, but we're not supposed to return those insults with other insults. We're not supposed to return that with, with, angry, with anger and with negativity. It's not how we're supposed to be set up. We're supposed to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ it doesn't say be, be ready with a, with a quick comeback that you can fire back at somebody who's mocking you. Just be ready with a reason. I mean, usually when Christians in America, uh, when our beliefs are being attacked, typically we attack back. We, we come back with, oh yeah, well, whatever, depending on the situation or the conversation. And instead, we're supposed to have gentleness and respect, even respect for our enemies. So... As you look through Acts chapter 5, you see that as the truth of the gospel and these facts are there, the religious leaders begin to attack the truth. Because that's all these men are preaching is just what they saw. And we see that then the next way the truth is dealt with, and that's by the apostles, they're being attacked, but they stand on the word of God. They don't, they don't come back telling the Sadducees that they're idiots or they don't come back making fun of them. They just simply stand on the word of God. And they're brought back before uh, the Sadducees, and, and here's what it says. When Peter, st- excuse me, Peter stands up to address the Sadducees, he accuses them, though. He reminds them again that they're the ones who are guilty of handing Jesus over uh, to the Romans to be crucified. But, but he does that, and then he finishes out his, his preaching, so to speak, with repentance and forgiveness of sins. So he lets them know. He stands on the word of God. He stands on what he knows is true. Hey, you are the ones who are the reason that Jesus Christ was handed over to the Romans and crucified, but... There's repentance and forgiveness of sins for you as well. 
In other words, he preaches the gospel to the enemies of the gospel. He, he doesn't do it out of anger. He doesn't do it out of mockery. He just simply does it, and he speaks well. And as he ends his preaching to them with this, with this fact, he says, We the apostles, we are the eyewitnesses of the facts that we are, are presenting to the world. He says, We have seen the life of Jesus Christ. We have walked with him. We saw his death, and we are witnesses of his resurrection. And we are called to proclaim this to the world. And that's what they did. And you know, that's good advice for us too, for today. People can argue the historical facts of Christianity all day long. As you share with family and friends and co-workers, they might even push back a little bit and, and disagree with your beliefs about Christ. However, it's going to be difficult for them to disagree with your witness, with your personal experience of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. And at the end of the day, I don't know that a lot of your family or your friends or your co-workers are always going to be interested right away in all of these facts because many of them are going to attack it. But I do believe that they want to see. They want to see the difference that Jesus makes in your life. They don't want, to, they don't want you to preach at them and then do the same things that they're doing. They want to see the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And that's, what, that's what's happened here in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, verse 33, we see another way that the truth is dealt with, and it's avoided. The, the Sadducees, after they listen to Peter, he presents the gospel message, and their, their reflection on that is they want to kill him and the other apostles. So, so the second way the truth was dealt with is it was avoided. Verse 35 says, Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do, excuse me, this is Gamaliel addressing them. Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, and this is a Pharisee giving the Sadducees advice and giving the whole council advice. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And, and I think that he used uh, a good argument there. You don't want to fight against God, that's for sure. But I don't think that his logic was good because I really don't think that Gamaliel, this Pharisee, truly believed the apostles' message was true. But what's for sure is this. He avoided the truth. He, he didn't back them, even if he did believe it was true. He just said, if these guys are of God, you're going to find yourselves battling against God. He avoided the truth. Now, I know I'm not the only one to say this. I have friends and family that to this very day avoid the truth. I think all of us have a couple. Uh, they've been presented with the gospel facts. They know. And they've been, they've been presented with, with who Jesus is. Now, they don't necessarily reject it. They, they're not, oh, I don't need that. They, they don't flat out reject it. They, they, don't, they also don't attack it. My family members don't attack the gospel message with me because, hey, I've got a bachelor's degree. It took me seven years to get it, okay? And that's not why, but... <laughs> They, you know, they don't, they don't attack the gospel message and they really don't, they don't really reject it. They just kind of avoid the truth in it. They, they do one of those, they, well, they ignore it or, or it's one of those, God and I have an understanding. Okay. You come talk to me about that later. 
So they don't, they don't, they don't, like I said, they don't reject it. They don't attack it. They just kind of avoid the truth. But we have to continue to proclaim the truth. That's what we have to do. And that's what we see next as a response to the truth and the way we need to deal with it after it's been attacked. So the, the truth has been avoided. It's been attacked. And the apostles are standing on the word of God. And then we've got some other religious leaders that want to avoid the truth. And we see finally in Acts chapter 5, the, the disciples and the entire church go out proclaiming the truth of the word of God, no matter what the cost. And I think maybe the, one of the most interesting parts here is, for me is in Acts chapter uh, 5, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, and, and this is, again, the Pharisee. His speech persuaded his listeners. They call in all the apostles, and they have them flogged. Then they order them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So this guy says, if they're from God, you can't battle God. And they go, you know what, that's, that's a good thought. Let's just bring them in and we'll beat them. And then send them out and tell them not to do it again. But that didn't stop them because they had the truth. They knew the truth and they had to share the truth. And it says they went out, they shared in the synagogue and from house to house. And they considered it, uh, they were rejoicing. And, and you have to understand that rejoicing, having joy is different than happiness. Okay, happiness is based on circumstances. Now, I'm sure the apostles weren't happy about the circumstances. They weren't joyful because they had been beaten and it felt really good. That's not what this is about right here. Okay, they weren't rejoicing and joyful because, excuse me, they were rejoicing and joyful because they had been considered worthy enough to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joy is the inside attitude that celebrates the love of God no matter what the circumstances are. No matter where you're at, you can have joy because we celebrate the love of God no matter what's going on in our lives. And that's the difference between joy and happiness. Matter of fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, in the letter that he wrote entitled James, in chapter 1, he, consider, he says, Consider it great joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of, many, of any kind, because you know that those trials will help strengthen your soul. They will help you persevere in godliness. And then we close up with Acts chapter 5. It ends this way. The apostles have been beaten. They've been released. And then they go. The church goes. Not just the apostles. They all go. And they begin to proclaim the truth of the gospel. All through the temple. And from house to house to house. It was unstoppable. So, so the hazardous part here. Wasn't for, for, the, for the apostles. And for the church. It was for the Sadducees. And the Pharisees. And the Sanhedrin. You see, because they went out and it was unstoppable. Yeah, they disobeyed the authorities because the authorities said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they disobeyed it. And while Peter himself said in First Peter chapter 2 that we should obey the governing authority that is over us for the Lord's sake, he also said in Acts chapter 5, he told the religious leaders, we must obey God rather than people. And God had clearly commanded them, the disciples, to preach the gospel no matter what. Here's the thing. Here in the United States, we may endure some social persecution, okay? You're going to hear people on the radio or on TV or at work, um, you know, insults and mockery and things like that because of our faith. 
But we're likely not going to experience physical suffering. However, we need to remember always that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are suffering physically for Jesus Christ. And so where, where this whole unleashed hazardous thing comes home for us is this. Are you willing to suffer with them? Are you willing to suffer with them in prayer and support? We're getting ready to have our offering time today. And, and the reason I wanted to have it here at the end is, is because of, of where it's all going. And it, it kind of goes like this. I just want us to stop and reflect about being willing to suffer in prayer and, in, and with our finances for, for brothers and sisters around the world that we may never even meet. I want to brag on our young people also from Vacation Bible School. We had around 51 kids, as we said, and our mission for the week was called Pedals for Preachers. There's some information in the bulletin about it that you can read. And the goal was to raise enough money to buy five bicycles for preachers in Africa. Now, personally, I think, yeah, go ahead and clap. I think having to ride a bicycle to, uh, having to ride a bicycle to work every day would be persecution. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> it's different here. Okay? Um, but they can have transportation to help them spread the gospel, and serve in their communities. And wouldn't you know it, our kids from VBS took that challenge seriously, and we also had, from what I understand, some outside donors. But two things happened this past week during VBS. Piggy banks and parents' change purses were emptied, and the offering plates were filled, okay? Our final count for Vacation Bible School with 50 kids was $630, all right? Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Definitely enough money for five bicycles. And folks, 50 kids from Huntsville Christian Church and from our communities came together and they gave lavishly for a cause and for people they will most likely never meet. But they gave it to the times and quarters and it was great to hear them in, in into the offering plates and watch the kids. We would call out their groups with excitement. They, I, one little boy dropped his bag and pennies went. It was great because he was like, look what I brought. And he hadn't even gotten in the door. As we prepare to take up our offering today, I just want to pray that you will give with as much enthusiasm and love and joy as they did. Because when we give right here, it, it, it goes through our missions. It goes through our community. It goes through our world. And it impacts in a way you'll never understand. So as, as, you're, as you're putting in your offering today, share that enthusiasm. Be a joyful giver. I want to pray, and we're going to have our offering time. Father God, I thank you that, that we can learn about others. And I, I thank you that uh, our young people this week were so passionate uh, to meet a goal that will provide transportation for five preachers in Africa uh, to spread the gospel. And, I, and I'm excited, Lord, to know that our people come here every Sunday uh, to give lavishly and, and to be joyful givers. Um, and, and that what is given is, is just multiplied and, and is dispersed throughout this community and throughout our world as well. And so I pray that as we give, we will always give with a joyful heart. And that what we give today, you will accept as a piece of us, uh, a gift from us to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.